Welcome back to the show. This is Cassie Shu. And just for the beginning here, we have Steve Huff joining us. So we had some technical difficulties when we first uh, recorded this with Virginia O'Brien as our guest speaker. So we're just re-recording the intro portion of this. So Virginia is our speaker today about dynamic stability of the thumb. And Virginia comes to us. Uh, she was last practicing in Minnesota uh, near the Twin Cities in a lot of research about the thumb. Um, she's very well known as a speaker for ASHT and she does her own consulting business, but now she is a native of back in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're happy to have her back in the state. Um, so Steve, how do you know Virginia? Yeah, I have an interesting story with Virginia. Virginia um, was very good to me. Awesome. I actually had an opportunity to meet Virginia Prior to coming to Wisconsin to the Hand to Shoulder Center, I was working in Arizona. As many of our listeners know, they probably refer to that, I think, every episode of my whole <laughs> job. But I met Virginia. They were advertising a... I was at a point in my career where I was looking to get some more mentorship. I knew I wanted to become a CHT, but Fairview and the University of Minnesota, I believe, was offering a hand therapy residency. And Virginia was the contact person or the chair or whomever I, when I applied, she was the one who reached out and I actually had an opportunity to interview that for two years in a row, actually. The first year, I just couldn't make it work. And then the second year, they called, invited me back to interview, which was awesome. But again, overall, I just couldn't make it work. I mean, she was fantastic to me and my wife. So you bailed on them twice. I don't know if you want to say bail, <laughs> but, but Virginia was gracious. Um, she was so, so great to me throughout the process. So pretty cool to hear that she's uh, in Madison. So hopefully maybe I can uh, reconnect and cross paths with her again. So yeah, pretty cool. Virginia has a, a wide variety of knowledge about the thumb. And we're going to talk to her about the dynamic stability of the thumb. We just had to re-record the portion of the anatomy in the beginning. And then you're going to hear myself, Virginia, and then Shelly Summers is going to chime back in uh, regarding that stability and kind of what is failing in the thumb, different diagnoses of the thumb when it comes to um, like a positive gene sign or CMC uh, hypermobility or hypomobility and just kind of what to do from there with um, some strengthening techniques. So Steve and I are just going to uh, review basic anatomy here of the thumb, and then you're going to kind of hear that transition of myself, Shelly, and Virginia go from there. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a fun episode for us to get into. Before we get going into the next episode, let's give a shout out real quick to my friends at the Gray Institute. They are gearing up for their next for the 2023 class of for the Gift Fellows. So if you guys are interested in that, you've heard me talk about that fellowship. Check out grayinstitutealloneword.com check out gift uh, could be an opportunity for you if you're looking to enhance your practice learn more about the full body kinetic chain biomechanics as you as you all listeners know if you've been listening to the show it's been a game changer for my practice i'd highly recommend it um, i think it'd be a great opportunity you should check it out it's made a world of difference for outcomes for us and as always make sure you guys click that link in your uh, listening platform and leave us a five-star rating so we can keep changing the world one hand to shoulder at a time All right, Cassie, let's start talking about the anatomy of the thumb. So the thumb, it really separates us as humans to animals, right? You can't really do a lot without your thumb. So it gives you structure, it gives you function. So let's start with the intrinsics of the thumb. It really divides that gross motor to fine motor ability. So if we start with the thenar eminence, there's three primary stabilizers. We have the opponent's pollicis, which is your largest. It helps flex and medially rotate that whole column. We have the abductor pollicis brevis, so it's anterior to the opponent's, and it really helps draw that thumb away from that midline to help grasp to the other fingers or pinch to the other fingers, such as like your middle, your ring, and your small. And then we have your flexor pollicis brevis, that's deep head and a superficial, helps pull that thumb into the palm. So all three of these muscles are innervated by the median nerve. Your FPB, though, does have a dual innervation. So the superficial head is median and the deep head is ulnar. So you're going to notice if you have an ulnar nerve injury, you're going to uh, lack that deep pinch with that FPB um, deep head. And then we have your adductor pollicis brevis, also an intrinsic, but not part of the thenar, and that occupies the web space of the thumb. It has an oblique and transverse head. It's 
innervated both of them by the ulnar nerve and provides the adduction and flexion to the thumb. That one's often taught with any type of thumb injury, um, even when you're mobilized in like a CMC splint after like an LRTI, that is the muscle that you're typically massaging out because it gets so tight, pulling that thumb in. And Steve's going to talk about the extrinsics of the thumb. Yeah, for those of you studying, this is good review for that CHT coming up in May. So the extrinsics of the thumb, we're going to look at the dorsal part of the extensor side of the thumb. So in that first dorsal compartment, we have our APL and our EPB. And then in our third dorsal compartment, we have the EPL, extensor pollicis longus. Those are all branches of the radial nerve or also the posterior interosseous nerve. Uh, and then on our flexor side, we have our FPL, our flexor pollicis longus, and that's innervated by the median nerve. I'm missing anything for extrinsics there. I don't think so. I don't think so. And extrinsics, we mean something that starts on the outside of the thumb and the wrist and inserts into it. So it doesn't cross, uh, intrinsics don't cross the wrist, in other words, Correct, right? correct. Okay, so the ligament portion, so you're going to hear Virginia talk a little bit more about what's failing with the ligaments. There's so many that we didn't initially get into this, but I think it's good to touch on that there are actually up to 16 total ligaments in your CMC and MP column. There's seven main stabilizers. There's nine stabilizers of just the trapezium alone, so think of how that can just break down so quickly. And there's four key ligaments of that 16. So we're going to have the volar or anterior oblique, which stays intact with like a Bennett or a Rolando fracture. That's the piece that kind of separates away. You have the dorsal posterior oblique, the ulnar or intermedial ligament, and then the dorsal radial ligament, which is your most important for primary stability. And that's for the CMC also, which is a saddle joint. So you have convex on concave and concave on convex. So you're moving away from the index into that palmar abduction, and you can move away from the index into that radial abduction with that type of joint. So trivia question, Steve, and you're going to hear me ask this to Virginia at the very end. So you have to hear her answer at the very end of this podcast. You have to stay tuned. What other joint in your body is a saddle joint? And I learned this from our former manager, who is a very well-known IAOM instructor. Outside of the CMC joint? Mm-hmm. Besides the CMC, what other joint is a saddle joint? I want to stay sternal, uh, SCJ. St- yes, that's right. Joint. So a sternoclavicular joint. Sorry, sternoclavicular joint. Yes. Yep. So oh, my gosh, go yeah. Front, back, or anterior, posterior, and inferior, superior. Yes, that makes sense because I do remember. Okay, I remember that in, in the uh, I think it's the IOM thoracic outlet class. Yes, we talk about that's that. That's yes, right. Because I was gonna I, when you said the convex on concave and vice versa, I remember. I believe it was Anne, right? Yeah. Anne Lurkey said that. Yes. And I, I'm sure there are other joints that are similar fashion, but sure. that's one that like we see as uh, upper extremity therapists all the time, right? Yes. Okay, and then your MP joint. So you have your radio collateral, which is rarely injured on that outside of the thumb, and ulnar collateral ligament, which is very common to have injury. You're going to see this with skiers. They're holding that pole when they fall, kind of jamming that ski pole into their thumb, and it's forcing that adductor motion into that radial side of the, th- or excuse me, ulnar side of that thumb. And then ball handling, any type of force where you're holding a ball or maybe dribbling a ball and that thumb gets uh, hyperextended or hyperflexed into that uh, palmar abduction position, rupturing that ligament. So another trivia question for those listening. So when you rupture your ulnar collateral ligament at your MP joint, MRI indicates the adductor aponeurosis interposes distally over that ligament insertion. Do you know what that's called? And this was on my CHT. I guess nobody's got guesses out there. Well, they can't talk back to us. <laughs> I remember this. Uh, uh, Sterner, right? Sterner? Steiner. Steiner? Yep, Steiner. A Steiner okay. lesion. Okay. Yep. So that adductor aponeurosis, which is a section of that adductor Pollicis that we just talked about kind of slides distally over the insertion of where that UCL was located over the MP joint, and that's called the Steiner lesion. So, the last portion of the thumb, we'll talk about the pulleys, which are going to be on your volar. Uh, some people refer to it as the palmar side of the, of the thumb. So, we are going to have our A1 pulley just over our um, MP flexion crease, and then we're going to go up, and, and then if we just jumped up to the A2 pulley, which is going to be just above our, um, our, at our IP crease, 
um, of the thumb. And then in between those two would be our oblique pulley. So I just had a patient last week, actually. This is kudos to Dr. Lumsden in our uh, facility. So we just had a young football player who had about a six-week-old injury from the upper portion of, like, Wisconsin-Michigan border, and he came down to see us here at the hand center, and he could not flex the tip of his thumb towards his uh, radial side of his index finger to kind of make that lateral pinch. But when when Dr. Lumsden was holding the flexor, uh, pulley over that P1 on the volar surface, he could flex towards so the oblique pulley towards his index without any pain, and he had full motion of the IP. So what, how we decided to handle that was we did a little bit of a pulley ring and made that ring underneath come around, dorsally block the IP joint because he was thinking there was an IP joint dislocation, relocation as well. And he was sat in that for about three weeks. He came back, took the ring off. He had full motion of his flexor tendon pulling the IP joint all the way down towards his index finger. So that was my first time actually seeing a pulley problem conservative on the thumb. That's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, then I think now we're just going to transition into the, the regular episode, right? Yep, so now we're going to have myself, Shelly, and Virginia O'Brien joining us to talk about all the different dynamic stability and what could go wrong with the thumb and radial column. Thanks for bearing with us during this episode. Yeah. Go ahead. Nope. So now that we've talked a little about the anatomy, why don't you kind of give me a little bit of an outline of you have one of these patients come into the clinic. What sort of evaluation are you doing? What are you observing in their hand positioning? Take me through some of that before we go into, you know, exercises and and those sorts of things. Okay. That's a great question. Um, Everybody comes in and they have a story that goes along with their thumb pain. So you have to... I, I love being an occupational therapist because I enjoy hearing the story of who they are, how they use their their thumb, and then when they're starting to have pain because you learn a lot about how they're using their thumb um, in their daily life, just doing your um, patient information time, um, your subjective evaluation. Um, I always lend, like to um, well review pain with them and go ahead and get a do a pain evaluation. Uh, when is the worst pain? When do they have no pain now? And do they have pain um, when they're when they're doing light tears? So always getting the the worst and the best pain um, scale. And I and I like to ask them to. Um, name that kind of pain because that will tell me if they're having burning maybe the dorsal radial sensory nerve is involved Um, if it's just ache or deep or sharp there might be some osteophytes that are in there and it's it's a um, a gift if you have the the um, radiograph to go along with it but we don't always have that so um listening to their words really helps to then sort of lay out where I'm going to go next. Um, Not everybody wants to have a splint. Not everybody needs a splint. And not everybody really wants to go through the dynamic stability program. You, you get kind of a sense of that when you're, when you're interviewing the patient. But my next step is to, um, measure the range of motion. Um, To me, the first web space and its length and how far they they can move um, is an indication both in the radial abduction as well as in the palmar abduction. Um, Just because I want to see how how that thumb is moving and where where they are having their limitation. Um, And there's also observation that goes on even even before you start talking or during the during the time you're interviewing them on their subjective information. Um, but I, I test their, their abduction or measure their abduction. I measure the metacarpal um, phalangeal joint, the MP joint, and the IP joint as far as how it goes, as well as I want to see uh, what's their opposition. And I, I prefer to move through opposition using the Kapanji scale. Um, but moving through opposition and having them stop where they have pain. I don't want them to push into pain 
um, number one, I want them to know that it, this is kind of a safe place to be, not kind of, but a safe place to be, um, that I'm not going to push them through their pain, but I want to get an, an idea how far they can move um, in a pain-free way. Um, then I will do a pain-free pinch and grip test if they're okay with that. They're, but I, I do always say, this is going to be pain-free. I want you to stop. I want you to not push into any pain. And that usually helps them to relax. Um, so that's where I'll go with the evaluation. And then I do think it's so important to use an outcome tool. Um, quick Before dash you, is where I started. I'm going to interrupt you a second. Before you go to the outcome tool, what is the Karpanji scale for those new listeners that don't have never heard of that? Okay. Um, Dr. Kapanji, and it's in the, the Journal of Hand Therapy back in the 1992 range, um, he developed a, a way to be able to measure a p opposition without using a goniometer or a ruler. And so if you do just a tenodesis action with your wrist, wherever your, your thumb lands, if you're just completely relaxing your thumb, wherever your thumb lands, that's number zero. So that's no opposition at all, no motor action. So it's usually landing right at the either the proximal phalanx or right at around the PIP. So your first order of active motion of the thumb then would be number one, which is the middle phalanx on the lateral aspect of the index finger. Number two is the lateral aspect of the index finger at the distal um, phalanx. Number three is your first order of opposition at to the index finger. And you want to make sure that it's true opposition and not a not a flexion moment of the, the thumb, but a true opposition. You can kind of see a an O formation. You can see the opponents working. Number four is to the middle finger. Number five is to the ring finger. Number six is to your small finger. Seven is to the DIP crease and make sure that it remains in opposition. You're not rolling over into flexion um, at the, or adduction and flexion at the thumb. And then number eight is to the PIP crease. Number nine is to the MP crease. And number 10 is at the distal palmar crease. Okay. So Thank it's you really, very much. Yeah, really simple and easier than trying to measure it and get your ruler out and get your goni out. And so that's, that's my simplest one. And it has good literature to back it up as being a, a valid scale. Okay. Um, and then you were going to talk about your outcome tool that you use. Um, well, I started out with the quick dash. Well, it's a general outcome tool. Um, it was at least available and we could put it into our electronic medical record. So it's a, um, it's a disability scale. Um, and it was a it was a good place to start, but then in Minnesota we moved on to the upper extremity functional index, the UEFI by Stratford, who also has um, authored the um, the patient functional patient specific functional scale, the PSFS, and that's where the patient um, the the UEFI is like a um, eleven or thirteen question. Um, it's fairly fairly short, but it's a little more specific on um, some ADL questions. So if you have, it was important for us in Minnesota to have that to to get that ADL component because um, the Quick Dash didn't have very much um, and specific ADLs. Um, the PSFS is nice because then you can um, grade what's important to the patient to get three to five different. Um, tasks that are difficult and you grade it on a zero to 10 scale backwards from the pain scale. So 10 meaning I can do it completely like I could before. And then there are so many more that are coming out. Um, we just presented at ASHT on the thumb disability index, a T TDX. Um, so I want to talk to my, um, my, my facility to 
say, hey, this is something of the an outcome tool that's shown um, psychometrics, high psychometrics. It's very reliable and valid for those with thumb problems and thumb pain. Um, the other ones that are available, um, you want to just look for things that are um, have already shown some uh, some research and some validity around around CMC um, pain problems. And I think that would be um, like the patient rated wrist handy valve may um, maybe one as well. But those are the ones we have used. But that's important to gain because we as hand therapists, whether we're OTs or PTs, we need to be gathering information that we can retrieve to be able to um, show our um, payors um, that we're making a significant functional difference as according to the World Health Organization function. Um, health is function. It's health is not how far you can move your thumb or if you don't have pain, it's are you functioning better because of um, the intervention that we've provided. So um, going along then, with the same eval, are you testing joint mobility? Are you looking at trigger points or myofascial restrictions through adductor pollicis with them as well? Um, in, in my eval or in my in intervention, the evaluation, I'm not looking for trigger points necessarily, but it, I might find, um, you know, if there's dorsal radial sensory nerve irritation on the dorsal part of the um, web space, I'm, I may um, at least comment on that. Um, maybe do us, you know, do a, a bit of a sensory. There's not a, a lot of sensory evaluations, you can do that, but you can note that in your chart as well. Um, you can note if there's a trigger point pain response in the web space or in the, um, in the thenars um, as well. And what was the other thing you asked me about? Just joint mobility. Joint mobility. The only time I will necessarily test joint mobility um, is well, I, typically I do test joint mobility as part of my test because I'm looking to see if the um, mobility between the trapezium and the first metacarpal um, is either lax, too lax compared to the other side, or too hypomobile. So going back, yes, I, I didn't, it's not, not only time, I do test that. Um, as part of my my typical evaluation, I have found someone who um, was hypomobile in a thumb where she was having a lot of pain, and it was because she had had a ski accident and had had a um, a sprain of that thumb, and she was hypomobile at the CMC, not at the MP. It wasn't an MP problem; it was a CMC problem. So we worked on that, which is scary because the the CMC is a lax joint, um, very much like the shoulder. But if you notice that one um, side or the other is um, hypomobile, that is something you can work, work for and to try and gain more motion. So after your evaluation is done, how are you distinguishing the lack of stability and where it's coming from between MP and IP, like if they have a boutonniere or swan neck, like where do you go from there? Do you discuss like, okay, you're limited with this motion. So these ligaments and tendons need to be worked. Like what's your plan of attack following that? Um, if, as far as if they're having a boutonniere thumb or, um, zigzag or reverse zigzag deformity, either one of those, however you want to name them. Um, to me, it's more of a motor issue, unless the person also has um, like lupus or RA and or hypermobility, and they just don't have a, um, a very patent uh, dorsal capsule to the MP. And so they just, they can't get to their thumb out of their palm and they're using using all EP EPL and no EPB. So in 
Um, I think where, where I go rather than talk, I don't talk to my patients necessarily about their muscles. I talk to them about position because they don't care about anatomy. They care about position. So I will first, if, first go, if the patient has a lot of pain, I will go to some pain reduction strategies. My first would be, um, doing some gentle uh, grade one traction at the CMC to help them to get away from their pain. Because if they're always, if they're riding at a five, six pain, you can't teach them any exercises because they have pain. So you want to get their pain down. And if that, if after oh, some traction, you can get them to a pain-free position, then teaching them to uh, learn to hold that position, which would be um, more of a C position. So I do like to get them started on um, a stable position. The palmar abduction um, position of the thumb is where the metacarpal sits on the trapezium with much more osseous congruency. So you have a more bony stability in palmar abduction. When you go into radial abduction, you're going to see that shoulder joint appearance at the base of the thumb. I know from where I speak because my thumb is a grade four or stage stage four and Eaton Littler stage four. So, um, but I haven't had surgery. I, but I can't say that everybody that has stage four um, grade CMCOA can, can do what I can do. Um, because some people have to go to surgery at grade one or two or three, but, um, if and I know that you can have a more pain-free thumb, if you are utilizing the, or first of all, utilizing the pop, the proper thumb position, and then learning to use the muscles, the motors that will help to, um, stabilize that position. What are and some so, good ways you're telling your patient to do those exercises at home? As far as, you know, I, I find sometimes having patients traction in different ways or or that stability position, that C-like position. Can you give me some um, exercises that I could instruct my patients in? Um, well, <clears throat> traction can happen in, in ways it could be just a... Um, gentle traction in front of their body. It can be behind their body. I like to call that the Englishman's posture for just gentle, gentle traction. Because if you stand up and hold, one hand holds the affected thumb and it's resting on your bum, we're um, in the Englishman's posture. And that's something I learned from um, Jan Albrecht. So traction can help to use ligamentotaxis to get that metacarpal back on the trapezium. Um, so getting away from the pain, that's first. Um, holding that posture can be very difficult in an open chain position. So there sometimes you can use your other hand to support the metacarpal. Um, and I talk about capital C, making a capital C. You don't want it to be a um, a, a little C, but making a capital C. Some people need um, a jar or a bottle or a tennis ball underneath their thumb to begin to learn what is that position. And once they can find the position, can they take it away and hold it against um, gravity? What's interesting is that more recent information and more recent research that's coming out in one of the um, researchers that I, Raquel Cantero-Telez, uh, she was the international speaker um, at ASHT this year. Um, she has moved the, the idea of proprioception even further than where I was thinking. I was thinking more down at the base of the thumb and teaching people to find that position. She starts way out at the IP of the thumb teaching people to, she has them draw a hand on a piece of paper and um, then she draws the IP flexed and the IP extended. And then you have to 
um, practice back and forth. And so she has a, a recent article. It's a 21 article in 2021 article, the Journal of Hand Therapy, um, Practical Exercises. for. She's starting way out of the tip of the thumb, getting people to be able to pay attention to with their eyes open and with their eyes closed and reproducing that um that motion. And then she takes it down to the MP and does the same thing. I had a recent patient um, who has CMCOA in both thumbs. She's a saxophonist. Um, and she, and we had been doing thumb, thumb splints to just be able to help her play her um, instrument um, without thumb pain, but then we were finally getting back to the dynamic stability exercises um, because she had, to, she had to play for some gigs, but now we had to get back to, okay, now we want to work on your muscles. And so I started her on the, on just doing, um, and this is something that even Jan Albrecht talked about in her book, Caring for the Painful Thumb, learning to do FPB, metacarpal phalangeal flexion without IP flexion and learning to find that muscle. And it was really interesting to me to watch her connecting with how to do that motion. And you could just see she was sort of zoning in to her own brain and her body and feeling what that was. And then she'd lay her hand down and she'd go, that's really hard. (laughs) And it was... It, it it sort of helped me to understand that sometimes maybe I'm pushing people a little too fast. I need to back them up and say, you know what, this is a program that we want to teach you how to use your thumb, the entire part of your thumb, because if they can't control the tip of their thumb and be aware of where, what's the FPL, what's the EPL doing, and how is that driving the rest of the column of the thumb, then we may not be be able to control what's going on at the base of the thumb. So uh, you often see like in, in the zigzag deformities, the, the reverse, and the, so you have the swan neck and the deformity and the boutonniere deformity of the thumb. Um, and we don't know whether it's been, this is a habit from home, from a childhood because they've had hypermobile joints or is it because they've lost some sensation? And so that's another part is you need to know in your evaluations, are there motor nerves that are not talking to the thumb? Excuse me. So even just doing, um, um, you know, as you move and you're um, evaluating the motion of your thumb, you're also looking for how are you moving your thumb? Are you noticing that there's going to be some, um, some there, there is some loss of motion and or um, atrophy at the, um, the, hopefully there's not atrophy at the first dorsal inner osseous, but then that would be your ulnar nerve issue. And then, or is there atrophy in the, um, the thenar area too? Cause that would be your, um, Media nerve. <laughs> All of a sudden, my, my brain just went off. Um, so, I I what are some ways to move people forward? I I think even um, is it Lisa Demott? She has an interesting um, article, and it's a it's a practice forum article, so it's not a research article. But she at least puts forward a way to. Um, help people to maintain that C position and then utilize the muscles in your hand and utilize all the muscles in your hand to activate around um, in a ball position or around domed position and then lifting your fingers off of the, the ball so that you are um, still using the intrinsic muscles of the hand, not only the ones of the thumb, but the hand, um, and then moving on to first dorsal and aracius, um exercises. But I, um, as, as we progress, if they can control the thumb, if they can use the extensor pollicis brevis to hold their thumb out of their palm, 
um, then you can move forward on the first dorsal interosseous. So I think getting that C position is going to be key. I would call it making your C. You got to be able to make your C. Can you can you hold your thumb in that position against gravity, and you've got an arch position? You're not collapsing at the metacarpal joint, and you're not hyperflexing at the IP joint, but that you're having a nice arch or a nice rainbow appearance of the thumb. Some therapists say have a um, some therapists that I know out west, they like to hold the, the thumb as a post and can you bring your fingers to your thumb without moving your thumb? That's That takes a lot of control. Um, another fun fun way is if you have a like an iPhone, you can go to your measurement app um, and use, there's a level in that measurement app that um, if you hold your C, so it's not a game, but it, it is it is kind of a game. Um, here I'm pulling it up on my phone. But it, you hold, hold that C position and then you find that level and if you're at zero, it turns green. And then you're, you've got, I don't know if I can, I, those around the podcast can't see the video. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to zero, it turns green. And then, you know, it's kind of, it's something that you have, but you're learning a multi-planar motion while you're holding an isometric C. That's so a I, good proprioceptive uh, feedback. Very, right? very proprioceptive. I always tell patients, everybody has their phone with them at all times. So it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, you've, you've got it with you. And so you want to look at how even some some phones are so heavy because they've got an extra battery. That might be too much. So you have to try it out. Can you hold that isometric C position? And then can you hold it and look at the thumb and see is it still in that C position or have you already collapsed? So it it does take some some effort to learn to... Um, create that arched position of the thumb or rainbow position of the thumb, if you if you will. And then once they can get that, that's when I move on to the first dorsal interosseous. So it sort of feels like um, like graded motor imagery that you start out with laterality and then you go to um, the right left discrimination and then you go to mirror. Well, there's some people that you can go right to the mirror and some people you have to stay at laterality or some people that you have to do right-left discriminations. Or, I mean, um, the what's the first part? Um, like thinking about the movement. Yeah, yeah. Just right doing left. some yeah. visualization. So all of that, I think, is really helping us to inform us on what are we seeing as therapists and how can we progress uh, someone forward or backward or what makes them stay in one position. So um, if I'm doing the first dorsal interosseous, I will start with them doing, again, capital C. I like it to be nice capital C because if you are in any flexion at that MP, you're locking that index finger in. You can't use the that um, part of the first dorsal interosseous to abduct the index finger. Um, and I also like to show them too, this is why we're doing this exercise here. I'll, I'll have them hold their thumb right in that C position and say, relax, I'm going to move your thumb. And then at, when they see oh, I'm moving your thumb, that's fine. And then I have them lift their index finger and I, and I'll put some resistance on that and say, or have them, I'll say, you put your resistance on there, some some pressure on there, but don't push your thumb, your index finger down and show them how stable their thumb is. And that sort of gets some buy-in with them as to, oh, that's why I'm doing this exercise that lifts my index finger. Um, and work on getting that active motion so that they can do that without pain, do it without uh, fatigue, there are a lot of people who's like, oh my gosh, that that's really hard or that's really tiring. And so start with the active motion and then come back and start adding either isometric or I like to do a rubber band 
exercise because I, I tell them this is your little finger theraband starting on the proximal phalanx and then as they get stronger you can use leverage um, and to your advantage and go out and extend out on the the finger to the PIP to the proximal phalanx to the DIP um, and help them to get stronger with that um, with that muscle. I don't know that we have this information yet, but if we don't have good proprioceptive reflexive information that's coming from our ligaments, if we work on the muscles, does that restore the proprioception? That would be a really great study. I haven't been able to do that one. <laughs> I think that takes some surface EMG, but um, but that would be a that would be a fun um, exercise. But you do see people saying, "Oh, I'm 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 not wearing my splint anymore. I don't have any more pain because you have been stabilizing." Um, working, strengthening and working to stabilize it because the first dorsal interosseus is the only muscle that has a distraction moment. Um, so it's not compressing the CMC. So that's one reason I like to use this as well post um, LRTI or post arthroplasty because I'm, I'm convinced it's not a, it's not going to subside the, the metacarpal. So therefore I'm not going to be putting pressure on this, on the space. Mm. So I, I feel confident in doing that. Um, just to back up a, a couple minutes ago, you met, you mentioned, um, Lori DeMott, the 2017, um, journal of hand therapy. So we do have that article up here and, uh, we actually use these positions frequently for CMC recovery when they get to that strengthening phase. Um, okay. so we'll also include that in the show notes as well as the handout that we usually give our patients. So almost all of our CMCs, Shelly, we give a tennis ball to, and we're teaching that we call it the stability position here at the hand center. So you say the okay. C, that's just the stability position. So oh, if you're that's... listening and you want to reference this, you can just look in the show notes. Then we move on to those bunny ears. And mm. then it's actually a good thought. So we move on to the third position with the rubber band right away using that index finger. But I think sometimes a lot of people don't catch on why are we using a rubber band after we're doing the bunny ears? Do they understand what their first dorsal interossei does to the CMC? Mm. You're strengthening right away. You're not even introducing the muscle movement. So it's almost like we're missing a step between the bunny mm. ears and the rubber band. Okay. So that, that's a good thought. So we might have to put an extra step yeah. or revamp this handout. Well, I, I think I think it's not well described in her article. And I, I emailed... Um, Lori, and I haven't heard back from her yet, but her picture describes lifting oh, it's where it's around the, the ball, then she extends the, the index finger and then lifts it. So she doesn't explain it very well in her practice article, probably you know, discussing with her how, how she progresses it. But um, there's not everybody do I use the bunny ears program with this that that program because I will often I guess I'm I use more the the um, just rubber band exercise um, it, more open chain but I, I think some people do need that closed chain so that's that's the proprioceptive input that they're getting they know where they are in space so I, I think that's that's the piece that I think is really fun to dig into now and, and move a little, maybe a little bit slower with our patients so that they're be becoming one with their thumb again, because <laughs> they, they've just blown past it. And then they, then they have such problems that they don't even know where their thumb is in space. Yeah, I agree. I think that tennis ball just provides s such great feedback and it mm -hmm. just visually shows them what that stability position looks like in joint position sense. And sometimes just having my patients do an isometric at the ball, you know, against that tennis ball is super challenging to them. It's, so it's I, super I, I, challenging. I, I love that, those exercises. Yeah. Then, then I like to help them to see, so life is mostly going to be without something in your hand, but then you have to go and pick up your coffee cup or your water bottle, or um, you're going to be holding a screwdriver or something, 
how do we transfer that knowledge to function? And I think that may be where we might be missing some of this. It's not just about adaptive equipment, but it's about utilizing those muscles. So I teach my patients to activate their first dorsal interosseous. I usually have a heavy coffee cup um, near me. Um, and I'll say, if you don't mind holding mine, uh, that's fine, or they have theirs. But if you are holding the cup and you don't use the first dorsal interosseous, your thumb can just kind of hang off and, and you've got some pain. But if you roll, just roll the index finger, you will activate your first dorsal interosseous. And then all of a sudden you've got your opponents that has activated too. And now you have a much more stable hold on, on your water bottle, coffee cup, um, whatever you're turning, whether it's a key, if you activate your first dorsal interosseous as you're turning, you're going to have much more stable stability at the at the thumb. So teaching them to transfer that knowledge into daily tasks, I think is really important. I love that. I don't remember who it was, but when I went to the Philly Hand Conference in 2017 with a few of my coworkers here from Appleton, the gal giving the speech about the thumb stability, it might even have been you, uh, you can... Uh, maybe you remember I, this, but we made a little face on our oh, yeah, side the, of our, was that you? Yeah. So yeah. the side of our index, uh, mm-hmm. proximal phalanx, you put two eyes and then on your uh, you, proximal you phalanx can, of your thumb. So you have kind of two eyes here and then you have half of a mouth and the yes. other half of the mouth And you make and, the mouth talk by moving the thumb or the index, move the eyes back and forth. Yeah, and I you thought, do, what a great idea for stability. I love that. That <laughs> yeah, is. It's, it's this. It's the the puppet. I I learned that from Jan Albrecht. She she had that in her slides. Okay. Um, and then so that's I borrowed that from from her, and she just said, you know, you have to learn. You have to start early. You start with what they can, what muscles they can find, and so they don't know what an opponent's is. They don't know what an abductor pollicis brevis is, but they know they could roll their thumb and then you're activating that that muscle and then you carry that into a, an more of an O position and then more of a C position. So you have to carry people along where they're at. Um, that's a good buy-in when you can make a little mouth with your index. And your thumb. <laughs> it's like practice your your little thumb puppets. And that's that, right. And that's I think right. that with the visual cues, everybody wants to succeed. There's a goal. And when yeah. you yeah. say, yep. can you can you move this? Can you move this with a, with a funny puppet? I, I think that people then, it turns into enjoying to try to do that exercise. Yeah. Well, right, right. And then, right. you know, even back to the puppet, you have to do it without collapsing at the MP and without really pressing hard at the IP. So you watch how people are using their thumbs. Are they dominant with the with their flexor flexor pollicis um, flexor pollicis longus, or are they dominant with their with their EPL and they're showing off their nails and you know saying this is this is my thumb? It's like nope, this is my thumb rather than the ski jump thumb. So sure, naming so, it is helpful. So so many people nowadays they use their phone for everything, like we had mentioned. Are there any apps that you know that you can use for your thumb or like uh, maybe it's a game where you can put like numbers into a box where you're moving, you know, from Palmer uh, abduction to adduction or radial or anything that creates stability? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. The only one I have is that measure, you use the measure app to create the, the C. So no, I'm not familiar with any apps, but I think it's really important that you teach them not to, I, I think, away from using their thumbs, that they use their fingers and reduce the use of their thumbs. So the using the pop sockets on the back of your phone, and I'm, I'm an OT, so I have two on there. So I say, hey, maybe it's going to be, you have to have two, but anyway, I'm just an OT. Um, but reducing the use of your thumb and then using a stylus for uh-huh. working with your thumb um, or working working with your phone so you can text. Right. And what is the texting? It's pure thumb, right? 
mostly, I mean, if that's the way you do it, it's all thumb. Or can you hold it this way and use your finger? It's not nearly yeah. as fast, yeah. nor is the stylus. But then how much pain do you want to create because you're texting fast? So, um, or watch if they're texting that way, you have to work with how they do um, work with their thumbs, but make sure that their thumbers are not, thumbs are not adducted, but they're more abducted and more in the, using the tip of their thumb and not the side of their thumbs. You know, talking about, Cassie just brought up about, you know, more, more proprioceptive exercises, stability exercises. I, again, I always go back to the tennis ball and we utilize an, a number ball here oh, where we yeah. take a tennis ball and we, I randomly put with Sharpie marker, right? Numbers one through 10 on it. And okay. I have them go through touching number one all the way to 10 with their thumb. And, and we do it of, I have them utilize their thumb. And then I kind of like what you said, try to have them utilize more of their index to small finger manipulation to move that ball to disassociate the two. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's yeah, another that's great a, exercise. That's a great point. So you disassociate their, their thumb, move your thumb separately from your fingers, move your fingers separately from your thumb, Correct. and then very lightly press rather than push really hard. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, um, you, you mentioned MedBridge. I, yes, I've been on MedBridge, but um, I'm working with MedBridge to help um, them have more hand therapy content. And rolling the ball in your th- in your hand is one of the things we're adding on. So oh, perfect. Shelly gets extra kudos for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you could t- say, give us a few clinical pearls, takeaways, anything um, from today's talk for our newer therapists um, or new grads. Okay. If they were going to see their first thumb patient, first what would thumb. you say? Here are the top three things that you would look at or, or test. Okay. Um, first of all, no two thumbs are alike, not even right hand to left hand. So be observant how they're using their thumbs. I think the most important thing is the how far they can move their thumb from their palm and can they move it without pain or um, can they get into a, that palm or abduction position without pain. So it's reducing, I, I say the three most important points for um, a stable thumb is a um, the adductor web space should be supple and pain and, and wide, wide and supple. So that that the web space is wide and supple, that as they're um, using their thumb, that they're using all of the thumb motors from the base of the thumb all the way to the tip of the thumb to to create their dynamic stability, and that they know how to do this for the rest of their lives, that they know how to take care of their thumb for the rest of their lives. They it might be adaptive equipment, it may be um, just changing how they're doing something, but they need to they need to have that information at their ready so that they can take care of their thumbs. Do you ever have your patients complete soft tissue massage or deep tissue massage in that adductor if they look like they're pulling too far um, palmarly into the toward well, the, the index finger? The <laughs> the the fun the. The fun thing that I think most people are using is the is those refrigerator clips to oh, yeah. relax, the, relax the first web space. Um, if that doesn't work, then you can also um, have the tennis ball in their in their palm, and they can use a padded pen um, over the dorsal part of the the um, web space to try and find those areas, or rolling a, a marble or a golf ball. Um, on a table so that they can release the adductor because it's such a wide fan kind of a um, muscle in the palm that they can relax and and open up all the thenar muscles and the the palmar thenar muscles in there. So I think that's part of that um, transferring the knowledge. So you are going to have a thumb that is not going to work because you've done some work in, out in the garden, in the yard, in the garage, um, in the kitchen. And what are you going to do? 
how are you going to help your your thumb be pain free so it, it really does take come down to relaxing and keeping that web space supple. They're using all of their motors. They may have to go back and do their exercises again, maybe rest a, a little bit in their um, hand, their thumb, thumb splint, um, and start over again. We didn't talk a lot about splinting, but before we let you go, um, do you have any splinting recommendations? Do you like um, Cool Comfort, Healy Weber? Do you like Straight Custom? What is your preference? Um, my my preference is to do, I like to do a, um, a custom splint that I learned from Jan Albrecht. So if anybody has Jan's um, book, she she does show a picture of, it's just a, um, a nice little splint that's just at the base of the thumb, but it doesn't cross the MP. Um, and it doesn't go across the, the ulnar side, but not everybody needs that. The literature doesn't show which is the be all end all if, um, for as far as orthoses are concerned. Um, I'm, I know a lot of people like to go to the comfort cool. I like a lot of people go to the Metagrip, not, I think one size fits a few. And, um, even three point products is coming out with their, um, base of the thumb type of um, over-the-counter or off-the-shelf splint that you can use that's much much more just at the base of the CMC and it doesn't cross into the ulnar side of the hand. Um, I like that one. Um, I I just I tend to make more custom ones if I if I find that the Metagrip will fit then that will be it but I often find that doesn't fit. Um, but then a lot of people just love the Metagrip and that's the one that fits their hand. That's fine. Comfort Cool, I just, um, in my in my hands, I think it doesn't have enough support, but it's a nice um, resting, resting splint for maybe not just CMCOA, but um, maybe for some other um, diagnoses as well. But then there are people that just love their Comfort Cool, so that's, that's fine. I often will do a little customizing um, to just add... Um, some splinting material as the that strap goes around the base of the CMC. Uh, okay, that's a good idea. So I'll, I will add that in so I customize um, the neoprene splint. Um, and then are your and, patients just wearing this for activity, pinching, and then at nighttime, nothing? When um, I, the, I think the literature in more often than not shows that wearing a splint at night will bank you more pain-free hours in the day. So uh, we don't know what we're doing at night. And when you are re totally relaxed, what's happening to the thumb, but it's turning into that, I'll get it here, more of a shoulder position. So you, you might be holding your thumb too close to your body. So I think it's important when I start working with someone who's very painful with their thumb, um, I tell them, wear this splint for the next two weeks as much as you can. Night and day where, you know, I wanna make sure it's something that they can use during the day. Um, and then as their pain subsides and you reduce that inflammatory process, then we can start working on weaning out. And I will probably have them wean out during the day sooner than weaning out at night. Interesting. I think night nighttime is a good resting position because you wanna keep it in that stable position. Um, and then people end up self-weaning too. Once their pain is gone, it's like, I'm not wearing a splint anymore. Sure. As so. you're weaning out of that splint during the day, are you supplementing with maybe a kinesio tape for a support or some sort of maybe a McConnell tape to provide some form of support? Yeah. Or are you just weaning out of the splint to, to nothing? I will move to kinesio tape if, if that works. I like to do that for um, guys that are doing a lot of... Um, car work and they they have to wear gloves and stuff and so I teach them how to tape under their under their gloves and um, anyone that's working out in the garden that's a nice way to show them how to to support your thumb while they're wearing their um, gardening gloves or there's other orthoses that will um, fit inside a working glove of some sort and and I think that's that's important because when you're doing heavy things you are not always able to hold 
the support of the thumb the way you should, and then you then you can end up having some some problems um, with the thumb. So um, that's that's why it's so important to work with your person that is sitting across the table from you and saying, when do you have pain, and when you know how might we be able to support that thumb while you're doing X job. Um, but yeah, kinesio tape is a wonderful way to go. Um, you can go on online. I think Allison Taylor has got some lovely kinesio tape options. Um, Jan Albrecht has one in her book. I've come up with a, a sling um, just down around the base of the thumb. Very simple for the patient to um, reproduce. Um, so I think there's no one way to tape. You need to tape how that um, uh, patient needs needs their thumb supported. So that's definitely a wonderful option. And there's maybe some people that need one splint for resting, one splint for work. Um, and so that that needs to be a uh, something that you are assessing. Okay. Okay, we have just a couple minutes left, and all of our speakers, we always ask three rapid questions. So are you ready? Put you in the hot seat again? I saw those, so yep, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so our first one is your favorite place you've traveled. My favorite place I've traveled is um, Nice, France. I... We've been, we've had the opportunity to, I, I and my husband came along with me um, to be invited to speak over in Europe um, and in, in the Netherlands and in England, but we've always made it an opportunity to go to France. So we visited Paris, but then we like, love to go to the Mediterranean. So, cool. All right. Well, we've all had these. What is your most embarrassing moment as an OT? Okay. It's very difficult to explain because I almost have to have a prop. And since this is a podcast <laughs> um, and I don't have my prop with me, but um, I was a, I was a hand therapist and I was trying to teach the Boeing exercise for a wrist um, uh, stability. Um, and um, I was, that was at the time where it, I could order this up and they could purchase it you know, and we could go on their insurance, at least at that clinic. We can still do that a little bit at UW-Madison because it's hospital-based, but that was free uh, freestanding outpatient. Well, I forgot to order the Boeing. So I thought, I'm going to be the OT who's very adaptive. And then so I have this patient in front of me. So what do I have in my clinic that I could make a Boeing like? So the red foam cylinders... Um, I thought, well, if you shake that, yep, that's kind of got the recoiling um, action and that acceleration, deceleration we're looking for. But I need something that's going to go on the top. So we happen to have <laughs> red ther- red splinting material. So scraps of red splinting material. So I'm being, I'm just being an OT, being an adaptive OT. So I take some scraps and I form a ball on the top of a red, red ball on the top of this foam cylinder. And I'm so proud that I was able to get it to adhere and stuff. And then when I hold it up in the air, it goes, because <laughs> it was heavy. Oh. It was heavy. Well, my patient was sitting with her new husband they both were very fair and you could just see them turning red because it certainly looked like a, an object <laughs> that was not staying erect. <laughs> so I quickly moved it underneath the counter because we had sponging counters, cut off the, the, that top <laughs> and then said and gave her a, a full length um, foam cylinder. I said, just shake this and I will for sure make sure I have a Boeing for you next time. So <laughs> that was my, my most embarrassing moment. Oh, well, that's a good one. <laughs> okay. And then favorite movie or drama series. Okay. Well, my favorite movie, I love older movies. And so um, my husband and I enjoy um, Cary Grant movies. And so Bringing Up Baby is one of our favorite movies. 
um, recently, um, the movie Ford versus Ferrari came out. My husband's a, um, a motorhead and loves cars. And so it's a really wonderful movie from 2019, I think, that came out. And um, it's a, the story between the corporation Ford and the entrepreneur um, uh, Sh Carol Shelby and how he went to Actually, this is a, a Nice or a, a France connection because the, the Le Mans 24 hour race in um, a town south of uh, Paris called Le Mans um, is something my husband loves. So it's a, an opportunity to go back into 1967 to watch how they won the Le Mans race. So that's that's a that's a favorite. It's more the story of entrepreneur versus corporate versus mm -hmm. um it's not just a car movie. So cool. I have a trivia question for you. Okay. See if you know it. So I learned this from Ann and Mirka in an IOM course. Okay. So what is the only other saddle joint in your body? Do you know this one, Shelly? Ooh, you got me thinking, Cassie. The only other saddle joint in your body. Besides your sit bone, right? Oh, at the so you say it out loud. So where your sternum meets your clavicles, your SC oh, joint. So you can SC go joint. anterior, posterior, or superior, inferior. Just oh, that's pretty cool. Or radial. Oh, all right. And there might be another one, but that's just the one they referenced in the class. But <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I hope it's been helpful, even though it's all it's all video or all, all audio, but hopefully yes. it's helpful. And, and definitely anyone is welcome to reach out to me and ask me any any questions about the, the podcast or anything about the thumbs. Okay, great. Well, you have a good rest of your day and you. we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to that episode. Steve, what do we have next? Next, we're going to have myself, Shelly Summers, and we're bringing back Teresa Perry, friend of the show. Also, I guess technically our boss now. Yeah. In the admin role. But we're, she's going to talk about, with myself and Shelly, we're going to do one of our YouTube OTPT episodes on wrist exercises. What are the common exercises that you'll find on YouTube for wrist pain? And we'll be talking about them. Are there things we like about them? Are there things we don't like about them? What would we change? Considerations to do when prescribing those exercises. So looking forward to bringing Teresa back and doing a show with Shelly for a change. It'll be a lot of fun. As always, if there's any topics or episode ideas, things you guys want to hear us talk about, please feel free to reach out to us at H2S Therapist. That's the letter H, the number two, the letter S, Therapist, all one word, at newhands.net. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.